Acts and turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. We'll be doing our Bible reading first this morning. In Acts chapter 16, I believe in the course of reading you'll understand why I want you to do this as I have an expectation of its, of its influence on your worship this morning. Acts chapter 16, we'll begin reading in uh, <clears throat> verse 19, and we'll read through verse 34. Acts chapter 16, verse 19 through 34. God's Word declares... I'm sorry, I have to be on this other microphone. Just a second. There we go. Now you're ready. We'll try it again. Editing is great. Acts chapter 16, beginning verse 19 through verse 34, out of the New King James Version, as is my custom, God's Word declares, but when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. And he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Well, hopefully as you could tell from the adjustment in the morning worship, just a very small adjustment, by the way, to move one thing to the front from what is normally more in the center, you have a feel for where we are going to be going this morning in our text in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, as we prepare to really look at the effect of what open doors for God look like. And they're a little different than what we think of as open doors. When we think of open doors for ministry, we think of tons of people showing up and all with open hearts and ready minds and ready to jump in and, uh, and receive the word that is taught and, and follow after it. And we're pretty sure that that's the best way to do ministry. That, after all, is the Western uh, American dream, if you will. That'll be how it should be done. Now, that we've established that that's probably not an open door in God's plan, because as we saw last week, an open door sometimes means getting beaten, getting falsely accused, getting imprisoned. 
and going to a place that you're uncomfortable with because uh, they're antagonistic to your very people group. And there are very few like you in the place. That this is what God calls an open door. We, of course, would approach that and say, why would you do that to yourself and your family? Why would you go there? Why would you want to uh, have to endure all of that? There are so many other places that someone like Paul could go to and Silas and could minister. They could have stayed in Antioch and multiplied their work there. Um, But no, um, the Spirit prevented them from going where they thought they would be comfortable in ministry. Brought before Paul a vision to go into Macedonia, that that is where he wanted them. And in the midst of that, they encountered this kind of what we would call opposition. But as we're going to see in our text this morning, that is really where most open doors occur in terms of bringing men to real discipleship of Jesus Christ and not just superficial faith, which gives us a very strong warning, doesn't it? Because it is very easy in our culture to maintain a superficial faith. A faith that is there during pleasant times um, and is easily abandoned, easily neglected, and yet we can still consider ourselves as pleasing to God. And we're going to address some of that this morning too. Before we do so, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, as we continue our study in Acts chapter 16, Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. And again, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. We pray you might give us great insight and a willingness to see the power of your, of your people fully submitted to your will. We're willing to suffer for your name's sake. And that we might see beyond uh, what marketers might say is our target audience. To see those that you have loved and died for that are willing to receive you. And Lord, give us that heart to follow you into lion's dens, into arenas of conflict, up against kings, that we might share Christ with some. Lord, we pray that you might open our eyes and our hearts to the secondary audiences that we often ignore and fail to appreciate. We pray again for your Spirit's direction during this message to guard it from opinion and error, to uh, fill it with power and purpose all by your work in our midst. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come into Philippians. Uh, We come into the city of Philippi. Things have started off very different than Paul's other forays because before he always went into synagogues. Now he can't because there was no synagogue. There was just a group of Jewish ladies out by the river having prayer. We uh, find that this is a little disruptive, but Paul is willing to go with that. 
Um, he also is greeted by a uh, billboard, if you will, a walking billboard who wanted to go around and declare who he was ahead of him as he walked. And we found the uh, great annoyance that that is, that we do not allow the world to uh, develop our message, to promote our message. We don't need them. We don't need that kind of uh, advertisement. We just don't need it. And Paul recognized that that wasn't an asset to his ministry, but a liability. Uh, he then cast the demon out of this gal, and the resulting conflict within the community was that he had just robbed some people of their means of taking advantage in the business community uh, for their financial gain. And so we find uh, that they are then wrongly accused, brought before the magistrates, and uh, maltreated to say the least. Uh, certainly, uh, probably not maltreated from the Roman perspective <laughs> um, for those that are not uh, citizens of Rome. Um, they were maltreated uh, as citizens, but no one had come to that knowledge yet. That's a few hours away. In the morning, they're going to come to that. Um, but they treated them as they would other ones that raised themselves up against the Roman Empire. And, and so they received, it says, many stripes. And that is that they were beaten, um, whether by whips, by scourge, or by rods. Um, Paul, I think, in his period of ministry has encountered pretty much all of them. Um, but we find that he is there beaten. Uh, he and Silas are thrown into prison. They are given this added warning to the prison guard that these are especially dangerous men. Remember, their only crime was that they had really just cast a demon out of a girl. But it was a financial loss to some of the community, and that was the motivating force. Well, the jailer was a diligent, somewhat diligent man. Um, he's going to fail in that a little bit overnight, but um, he's somewhat diligent and recognizes that if these are men that are particularly dangerous. He needs to put them into uh, the inner part of the prison. And uh, the, it would have been a, a still a community prison area where there would have been multiple uh, individuals, residents, if you will, um, criminals in there. Um, but all of them would have been chained to the wall. And so he puts, puts them into stocks in the inner prison and uh, fasten their feet in the stocks uh, they're all there in the inner prison, and uh, Paul and Silas are settling in for the night. Now, I want you to begin to appreciate what condition these men are in. Um, they're in the inner prison, which is not a very nice place, very dank, typically. Um, this has no access to light, and the idea even of, of some of uh, our, that there's this little window up at the top with bars that we can maybe get a little light in. Not true of the inner prisons. There was no access to light. When that prison door closed, you were pretty much in darkness. Um, other than anything that would come through the door itself, um, you're chained, and uh, those are not comfortable. We're not, they're, they're not stainless steel. They are just old, rusty. To some degree, it would have to be because of the moisture content. You're in a condition where no one really cares about your personal needs um, of toiletries and such. 
and also, on top of all of that, remember what had just happened to them. They had just had many stripes laid on them. They were in a physically painful condition and thrown into a place where they really could not address those pains. They were not given medical care as part of their interment there. They were put into this place, certainly pretty cool, um, but not the best place to be when you've got bloody backs. All in all, um, you and I would conclude that this must be a closed door. <laughs> Boy, what were we thinking going to Macedonia? God, God must have made a mistake, right? This can't be uh, a good thing. We have no Jewish community here to, to start our ministry off with substantially. Um, we have just, uh, in our first act of, of really uh, public act of ministry, uh, gotten ourselves arrested. Uh, and now here we are, beaten, bruised, bloodied, uh, in the inner prison uh, with ourselves shackled by our feet to the floor. Um, we are stuck here. There's no going anywhere. We have no idea what's going on tomorrow. And we would kind of expect verse 25 to reflect a little bit of downcastness. A little bit of disappointment. A little bit of frustration. A questioning. What are we doing here? But that's not the case at all. And verse 25 becomes one of the most powerful verses, I think, in Scripture. It is a directive for the community of God to reflect upon how God works and how, what He demands of us. We've already seen some exposure to this kind of spirit, this kind of attitude we saw it with Peter and the apostles when after they were beaten, they left rejoicing that they were counted worthy of suffering for the name of Christ. And that is of similar content of verse 25. Here at midnight, these men are not really in a condition to be able to sleep. I am certain because of the pain, because of what had, they had just experienced, that sleep was not going to come to them that night and they recognized it. And so they did not complain, they did not grumble, they did not cry out to God, Why me? We are serving you faithfully. How could you let this happen? No. They were prayerful and the indication is they were praying out loud with each other. So they were engaged in prayer and they were singing hymns to God. They were just generally happy with what their lot was. Was it their preferred lot? No. But they were recognizing that in this place, under these conditions, under this physical uh, injury, we have responsibility before those within, who are in the cell with us, who are within the hearing of our voices, who are within the sight of our countenance, to portray to them the power of God. And this is the best place to do that. Out there, walking the streets as free men, we didn't have a great audience. And the one time we did exercise the power of God, 
it was misconstrued and it was rejected, essentially, because people loved money rather than righteousness. Surprise. But here in this place, we have a captive audience. Get it? Okay, you guys catch up. You're awake a little bit. We have a captive audience, and, and they have their own problems, um, and they know that they are in trouble, and they know that there is very little aid that's available to them. Uh, they similarly are very dangerous people, supposedly, uh, at least under the magistrates that also thought Paul and Silas were dangerous characters um, who were essentially influenced by a mob. Um, we find that they come in and they see an opportunity that they should be praising God, that here they are, they're alive, they have an opportunity for service, and that God must have something in store for them. That God has some means of turning this into good. He has some work that Paul later on describes in Romans that he makes all things work out together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. It is in places like the Philippian jail that Paul comes to live that truth, not just teach that truth. That it is in these kinds of places where oftentimes we are so frightened to go that we cower our faith to the will of the world because of our fear of this kind of treatment. And Paul says, no, this can be used of God and God wants us here. We're going to be ministers here. And it's interesting that Paul doesn't lay into a sermon to his captive audience. He doesn't start off by quoting scripture. Um, none of that would have been appropriate or really uh, something that these men had previous contact with. Um, it is even possible there are other Jews in the place, given the way people acted towards the Jews in this town. No, he starts off with prayer and singing. Prayer and singing as your means of testifying to those around you? Yes. And the content of those prayers, the power of that, or the content of, that, of those hymns, uh, and the power of that, of that attitude within these two servants of God had an impact. That impact wasn't just on the jailer. We're going to see that in a little bit, and that's the one we really identify and know of. But the impact is on everybody, including the fellow prisoners. And we're going to see that very shortly. And so here they are singing their testimony, praying it out. And their prayers are not going to be complaint prayers. The kind of prayers that are going to influence people in the manner in which the men that are going to be uh, in the audience, other audience, God's the first audience, the secondary and tertiary audiences of their prayers and of their singing uh, are going to be that these men are thankful. They are worshiping God. Uh, they are giving themselves over to Him. They, are, they have full confidence that He is able to deliver them. Our God is able to deliver us. We have a song like that, don't we? He is able to deliver us. They have this attitude, this perspective, and this complete trust in this one true and living God uh, that none of these men have ever really encountered. As in these circumstances, 
that the exercise of your Christian faith is most critical and has the greatest impact. And that's why when we shirk away from them, we really rob ourselves and God and ultimately our community of opportunities to really see genuine faith in practice. What does it really look like? What is this peace that passes understanding? Well, everybody has peace when they're sitting comfortably in air-conditioned rooms on padded chairs. Correct? Everyone's at peace there. When their bank account is secured by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, I think that's what it stands for, I don't know, FDIC, when our jobs are there and, and we have our pantries full and we have wardrobes of clothing. Oh, anyone can sit and be at peace kind of in those situations. But a peace that passes understanding, a peace that grabs people's attention is one that is, that is demonstrated in the midst of the tragedies of this world and the travesties of this world. Paul and Silas see the opportunity that's afforded them and, and they respond as soldiers of the cross that we're here serving our master. We could serve him in the streets and we can serve him right here in the inner prison and we determine in our hearts to do that and we will not allow the men and the magistrates and the mobs to rob us of that joy of that peace. They cannot do that. They can war against our flesh and that's all they can do is war against our flesh. And so they sing. And I think we underestimate the power of song. Um, and by the way, the world, Satan, I don't think underestimates its power at all. And that has, uh, we could talk to great lengths about your choice of music today, um, but it's really tangential to what I really want to talk about. But I want you to recognize the power of music and of song. And when we choose to expose ourselves to the world's music, we're exposing ourselves to its power, to its influence. And I fear that for most of you, we underestimate it how it influences our thinking, our perspectives, on relationships, on speech, on attitudes, on God, our faith. Um, and it is such an area uh, that requires so much attention because of its force of influence. That we can suddenly find ourselves, and I'm sure all of us have had this, with a song, quote-unquote, stuck in our brain. How in the world did it get there? You brought it there. Somebody planted it there. And it has that kind of a force that it can be brought out and, and now it is, becomes almost a, a, more than a distraction, almost becomes the drive of the hour or the day, um, maybe of the week. Uh, it has that kind of influence. 
And we need to recognize that. Um, educators have recognized it and tried to put uh, things they want you to learn to song, thinking that with the music you have easier recollection of that. We use that word of life clubs to teach them the books of the Bible. They didn't have a book of the Bible song when I was a kid. I just want to let you know that. I learned them the old-fashioned way. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, right down the line. We just learned them. Now you sing them. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And I can see the kids in word of life clubs doing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And I'm like, this is going to take forever. They're going to sing this whole long song. You should be able to do those books of the Bible in about three breaths and in about 30 seconds or less. Um, but the song goes on and on. So we recognize that music has that power of recall, has that power of influence, and it has that, that stickiness to it. It just, it just can, can uh, bring forth information and, and principles, and it can change our heart's perspective. It can, it can influence our attitudes so we can go from being uh, kind of downcast in our spirit to being uplifted in our spirit. And, and we recognize music can do that. That it can take us from a point of boredom to a point of, of, of action and activity. That I can sit here doing a repetitious job and I can add music and make it go by much faster. All the while not necessarily realizing that subconsciously I am intaking content. I'm intaking a message, not just a tune. Well, the message that we want to communicate and why it is so necessary that we do so well, and again, not according to the world's ways and standards, but we want this content. And so they're there singing hymns. And already in the church, there was a hymnology. There was a study of hymns. There was a, uh, Remember, we are not in the earliest days, the, the early uh, months, years of the church. We are now probably 20 to 20, 25, 30 years into the history of the church. There has been sufficient time to, to develop some hymns, and they have done so. And it would be ridiculous if the church of Antioch didn't have some, and uh, they were engaged in that. And so they're singing. And the influence of that attitude, the influence of that content uh, of their prayers, their song, um, caught the other prisoners' attention. The end of verse 25 says the prisoners were listening to them. When we pray to God, when we're praying out loud, people are listening. That's okay. I know our primary audience is God. Even in our singing, our primary audience is God. But there's a secondary audience. And that audience is listening. They're listening to how you sing, to the spirit, to the message. Um, you can sing the same thing um, with a different heart and spirit and it come across two different ways with the same tune. Right? You can turn any song into a dirge. And when Christians sing that way, Oh, I gotta sing this song. There I go along life's road, praising the Lord, praising the Lord. Or not sing at all. Because I don't have a good enough voice, whatever that means. That really just means you're too proud. 
to use your voice. And that arrogance is an affront to God. God calls us to encourage one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts. What comes out of the mouth uh, may diverge from that a little bit for some of you more than others, um, but the heart is the generator of your singing. And for Paul and Silas here, their heart was attuned to God and they wanted him to know that they were his servants no matter where and the prisoners were listening. And I just want to share with you, I'm going to be a little particular here this morning. Um, I just want you to know that your young men, your children, your boys, men, are listening. Even to your silence of your scene. And it communicates something about your heart. And I think it's necessary that if we are going to find a place to have prayer and singing of hymns be heard by the prisoners, we should think about the prisoners in our home, our children, (laughs) who are trapped there with us. Sometimes we feel like we're in prison with them. What are they hearing from you? Do they hear your prayers and singing of hymns in your home? From your voice. Not from the radio, not from the CD player, um, but from your voice. Do they hear you singing to God hymns of praise? Do they hear those that content? Do they hear those words Um, Do they hear those tunes that would bring them into this communion with God in the context of the environment that you've been placed in? And I know there might be some limitations in our work environments. Uh, Some of us have less limitations. Um, um, Every construction zone I go to, somebody's got a boombox going. Um, You ever notice that? Uh, It seems like there's always one of those. And so construction workers do a lot of it. I'm not sure why, but... Um, and I recognize in the office that's not necessarily going to be beneficial to the work environment. Um, but oh, that people would hear us sing about our Lord and the power of seeing men. Men will lift their voices and let it be heard that in this heart there is a spirit of thanksgiving to God for all that He has done. There is a servant of God uh, in here. And it is going to come out here. We've had a great exposure to something very similar to this event here in recent months. We all watched with some degree of horror as the Lebanese, Libyan version of Islam paraded out some 20 or 21 men at a seashore, uh, all identified as Egyptian Christians who were there working and uh, who were going to be slaughtered by, the, by 2021. I think it was 21, wasn't it? I don't know, was it 20? 21. By 21 terrorists who were soldiers for their faith And we're going to decapitate them. And then it'll split their throats. And what came out later was 
that there was only 20 Egyptians. There was one who wasn't. There was one who wasn't from Egypt and he had arrived there and was working and how somehow got caught up with the group and he wasn't an Egyptian nor was he a Christian until he got incarcerated with the 20. And each one was asked to deny Christ before heading out to that beach where they would be slaughtered. And each one of those 21 including the one who wasn't until then, they all chose, I will not deny my faith in Jesus Christ, including that one who wasn't a believer until he got incarcerated with 20 other men who were. And is that one soul, the power of that testimony, that one man worth the lives of those 20, that one man's eternity was established by those 20 men's faithfulness to God. That when they came to him, he agreed, no, I'm going to, their God is mine. That's the one I'm going to put my trust in. And oh, we would see the influence of our testimony of standing up and being willing to, even in the midst of a very dangerous circumstance of praising God, not only are you not going to get me to deny my Lord, I will praise Him in your midst. I will praise Him to your face. Though you may want to strike my face as a result. So the prisoners were listening to them. And I think there's probably more people listening to us than we realize. Uh, among our children, certainly. Uh, but among our neighbors and our co-workers who are listening to us. And we often think the big event is the earthquake in verse 26 and 27. And the earthquake is spectacular. Um, but, uh, and of course, if we were to write this as an action story, we would have all of them sneaking out and we'd have, or getting out to being freed. But in fact, the earthquake just sets up another opportunity. Are you going to save your own skin, literally your flesh, or are you going to maintain your commitment to ministry? And that's what basically this boils down to. Uh, the earthquake that God brings upon us is a mighty earthquake that, that opened all the doors, that the chains were all loose. It's kind of, uh, this is pretty substantial. The foundation of the prisons are shaken. Um, and uh, it's even a big enough earthquake to wake up the jailer. At what point he fell asleep, we don't know. Remember, they started at midnight. Midnight, they're praying and singing hymns. At some point, the jailer had fallen asleep, but apparently, from his response, he had heard enough of it before he fell into a slumber to know what these guys were about. He only got some of it, but somehow he knew when he ran into that cell later on to ask this simple question, what do I have to do to be like you? To be saved? Somewhere he had heard that terminology from Paul and Silas somewhere in the context of his conversation with them. And perhaps they had had some extended conversation, and so, but, but it's when they broke out in prayer and singing that it got the prisoner's attention. And so the earthquake happens, and you and I think, well, this is just like with Peter, and God has just delivered them from this jail. God has just preserved their life, and now he's going to lead them out. But that's not what God does. 
What's the difference between Peter's and Paul's experience in the release from jail? Um, Peter has a directive from a messenger from God. An angel says, you're going to walk out of here. Uh, Again, because you don't have a ministry here because of the hardness of the hearts of the Jews. Fundamentally, these were the religious leaders who had access to all the truth about God. I shouldn't have done that. Had all the access of all the truth about God and rejected it. There's no reason for Peter to stay in there. These people had the access. But in this place, in this environment, these men did not have that. And it would have been a tragedy for them to hear this um, as, a, as a secondary audience and then have Paul and Silas whisked away and these men standing there going, well, I wonder if that's for us too. It would have been tragic. So it's necessary that they stay there. And we need to have the wisdom to recognize that. To recognize when we, it is required of us to stick to it and endure even the profane and the, and the violent that we might minister to them versus the times when it's time to just walk away. And what is the determining factor? The determining factor is really access. If I'm dealing with a bunch of people who claim to have knowledge of God's Word, even if it's online, in the social media, and they have this knowledge and they are saying things that are corrupt and, and, are, and are blasphemous sometimes, no, I'm not going to give them my time and attention. I'm not going to let them mistreat them. They get defriended. You're gone. I don't need you around. I don't, I don't, there's no way I'm going to impact you. But then I have people that have no clue because they have no access. They have not, they have not seen a Bible, let alone read a Bible. Um, the, the most they know about God's Word is, is from what they've watched on TV, which is scary to think of. Frightening, in fact, that that be their only access to it. And so we would endure a lot more. I would endure them calling me names. I would endure them using profanity. I would endure them doing all kinds of things. Because they're largely doing it in ignorance. And they desperately need some light, some salt in their lives. And we pray for these kinds. Christ condemned the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and he tolerated adulterers and talked to them. That was one of the accusations against him, wasn't it? You hang out with sinners. (laughs) What's the deal with that? Publicans, tax collectors. Well, no one else hung out with them. They didn't have access to the truth. And so here, the earthquake was not to release Paul and Silas. It was rather to further open the doors of ministry that they have here. And we don't think of, you know, these are closed doors. I mean, I'm in a prison and it's a locked door. And God says, no, it's not. This is an open door. Let me show you. Kaboom! Doors are all open. Chains are all off. You have total freedom, total liberty 
to minister in these environments. And I would contend with you that you probably have more liberty to minister out there in the world than you might have in many churches today. There it is. There's the opportunity. There's the privilege. And we shirk at that. We, 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 we kind of... Become quiet. The one point that we should be singing and praying and talking. Well, the keeper of the prison wakes up in verse 27, made the clear, logical conclusion that if the doors are all open in the prison, certainly all the prisoners are gone. I slept through the whole thing. And is ready to do what every good soldier is going to do, take personal responsibility for his charges. That meant that his life was going to be required for all theirs. So he, rather than having to go through all that, he's going to do the honorable thing and take care of that himself. Which begins to understand the character of this man. And I believe this is one of the key traits that we should be looking for in the world are people who are willing to take responsibility for themselves. And I think it is one of the character traits of becoming more and more rare in this society. Go talk to our young people and see how many will take responsibility even for their homework not being turned in. It's usually mom and dad's fault. We have trained in the psych community that everything you do wrong is not your fault. You get a pass on everything. Because I'm sure it's something to do with your mother. We're sure it's something to do with your society. Something to do with your economic disadvantages growing up. We are sure of that. And we have released personal responsibility. This is a man who is willing to take personal responsibility. This is, these, this is my job, and, I, and they've gotten away. Was he to blame? Could he stop the earthquake? No. But he was asleep and he knew it. And for us to come to God and recognize our sin means that I have to take a personal inventory and recognize that I am to be judged for what I have done and not done. And that philosophy, that, that thinking... Um, and by the way, that was a, a very highly prized Roman trait. It should be a highly prized American trait. Used to be. It used to be. Not anymore. To take personal responsibility. I'm sorry, I was wrong. And I know that I need to be punished for what I did wrong. So here I am. Turn yourself in. So here he comes, already recognizing that he's failed his responsibilities. He's ready to take it upon himself to uh, execute judgment on himself. He draws his sword, ready to kill himself. That's the honorable thing to do. Um, in verse 28, Paul calls out, we know the story, right? Don't harm yourself. And then these three words, three or four words uh, that are just phenomenal. We are all here. Not, Paul and Silas are still here. Hey, me and my buddy, we're still here. All of them were there. Everyone stayed. Can you imagine that? 
Remember, this is the inner prison where the most dangerous criminals are. And they've been listening to a couple of guys who are also very dangerous, so dangerous you've got to shackle them to the floor, um, singing. And they, these are hardened men, right? In our mind, they're hardened men. Or they're broken men, one or the other. We don't know what their problem with Rome was. Um, they're listening, and the shackles are gone. The doors are wide open. The guard is asleep. Come on, people. This has to be a sign. And somehow, because Paul and Silas didn't get up and leave, none of them thought to do it either. They would rather stay there and hear from these two men than be at liberty in their flesh. Because what these two men were offering was real liberty. Real freedom. Freedom from sin and freedom from judgment. Freedom from the penalty. Freedom from the presence. Freedom from the power. All of sin. That's what they were offering. I'd stick around. And they were smart enough to stick around. And all of them were there, secure. And you can imagine the impact of that kind of testimony on someone like the jailer who has been dealing with criminals all his life. These men knew they belonged in that jail and they were taking personal responsibility for themselves too. I don't get a free pass for my criminal activities. I still belong here. I'm going to stay here. Yes, the door is wide open and it might think, well, God's just done this and now we should walk out because look, the path, that's an open door from God. No, the open door is for ministry. Now you have a chance to give a testimony. I'm convinced that not only does the Philippian jailer come to know Christ, but certainly the evidence is, is that the other prisoners there are joining with Paul and Silas to some degree. And the result is now, <laughs> how do I get saved? Now, the famous declaration that we make our kids memorize, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved and your household. I'm going to really be dealing with the theological aspect of the and their household that we saw in Lydia and here at the Philippian jailer going back in their Cornelius. We're going to be looking at that a little bit more next week as we uh, do our pre-Easter service and we're going to be looking at that the theology of salvation and so we're going to spend more time on that then. Um, but we have this directive. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is, you need to put your trust in them. And uh, we think, well, that's all it takes. That's all he had to say. That's all that's recorded for us of what he said. Please remember that the book of Acts is not <laughs> a manual for evangelism. It is a record of it, and nor do, are we given the content of every conversation, the full content. It is a, 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 a history of the apostolic work and the development of the church. And, and I have great difficulty with some groups, some that I've been intimately involved with, who come to pastors like this and say, if you add to this statement, you are doing injury to the gospel. And basically there are people who believe that you accept Jesus as your Savior and not your Lord. That, that You don't have to have him as your Lord just as your Savior. And they use text like this to substantiate that. We're going to talk a little bit more about that um, 
as well next week, but I just have to touch on that, that uh, um, the next phrase, I think, kind of undoes their whole argument, doesn't it? When it says, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. That phrase, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved in your household, is not the extent of what he said. It was the initiation of what he said. It was the direct response that if this is all you hear, then I want you to hear this. But the full message um, is now up to you. Do you want to hear more? And the guy says, come on, I'm going to wash you up. You're going to get a little medical care now. Didn't get any medical care before. Now we're going to give you a little medical care. And uh, while I'm giving you some medical care for your body, why don't you give me a little spiritual medical care? And he spoke the word of the Lord to them. He spoke it and, they, and he received it, was baptized. He and his household, we'll talk more about that next week. Uh, we see this, this impact. And all of this happened, believe it or not, verse 33, the very hour. That very hour. The earthquake that we would have thought of, well, this is God's escape route, is really the open door ministry been looking for since the vision come over to Macedonia and help us. No synagogue to start with. No great audience out there in the streets because they all were chased away by that woman possessed by a demon. So where's the first real open door? Is right here. Not to escape but to minister. And we find its influence, its impact, that we have now certainly a prominent, pretty wealthy Jewish woman that's in the community giving opportunity for residents there to be set up and to really establish Philippi as maybe a central place like Antioch that would then send out satellite churches around. Um, we have that established, but here we have a prominent Roman. And we often think of jailers as being the lowest, but this man was in charge of the prison system, uh, like a warden almost. He was a jailer. He was there. I mean, he had full responsibility um, and, and accepted that. And so we find that now we have him and his whole household coming to Christ. And we have now there in Philippi this testimony being established, open doors of ministry, not because Paul and Barnabas walked out of an open prison, because they stayed in it. You see, we don't even want to get in the prison, let alone stay in the prison. Would you agree with that? That's pretty much our heart, our spirit. You know, if God put us in prison, we'd be kind of mad at him, frankly. Most of us would have an attitude of, why me? We would be dejected, we'd be angry, we would be bitter against God. Uh, why should I have to suffer this way? Uh, we would not be praying and singing hymns to God of praise. Uh, we would, and by the way, the others that are there around you, including those who are pressing you, are watching you intently. We would consider all of that to be negative. And Paul and Silas said, well, maybe this is where the doors are going to start opening. And they did. Not for their escape and comfort, but for their ministry. 
And this is what we pray for and look for. And we talk about suffering for the sake of, for, for Jesus' name. is not just suffering because somehow by physical pain we get closer to God. Um, that's not what we're really talking about. We're talking about enduring this as the evidence that we are serving the Lord and the world is hating us like it hated Him because we are His agents. There is no spiritual value to you, to Paul's suffering and Silas's suffering in there with the wounds uh, in a dank, dunk, dark room. But it is the doors of ministry that it opens up for you. It was the doors of ministry and the evidence that we're really doing the work of God and it's evident because, look, the world hates what we're doing. And they're going to take it out first on leadership and then maybe on others. But now we're going to find the Roman side is going to be addressed. Uh, We find him coming to know Christ. We find the very small but very present uh, Jewish uh, people Gal that's come to know Christ, her whole household, and we have now that opportunity to establish a church uh, that is going to grow and be a powerful benefit to Paul uh, for the rest of his ministry, by the way. Have you read the book of Philippians? Written to the people of the church of Philippi who are going to financially support Paul the rest of his life? They're going to send gifts again and again. This is going to be a powerful church in the community of Macedonia. And it was an open door that from our perspective, from a human perspective, was a huge mistake. Look at all the suffering and look at all the problems. No. Look at all the ministry opportunities that were built around two men of God singing instead of complaining. And maybe that needs to be our spirit in the workplace. That we should be praising God. I have an income. I have a means to take care of my family and extra to give, meet the needs of others. I have a liberty to... To some degree or another in our country, we still have a liberty to share who I am and what I believe. And it's time for me to not have any secondary listeners hear me complain, hear me bellyache, hear me speak against authorities, hear me speak against God, hear me do anything but praise Him in prayer and in singing. They are listening to you. So is your family. Not just your wife or husband, but your entire family. Believers and unbelievers alike, they're listening. They are the secondary audience of every prayer you make to God, every song you sing, they are listening. What are they hearing? And they're watching. See whether you're going to duck out of everything that's tough, whether you have the strength of faith to see ministry where others only see misery. Stop worrying about your comforts and consider the eternity 
that others are confronting. That they are heading headlong into. And it will change your heart. That we can sing. And those that hear us will say, you have nothing to sing about, yet you sing. I don't get it. And then we tell them, well, you can. And I want you to. And more importantly, God wants you to. Let us be singers. And prayers. In our times of difficulty. And not embittered complainers. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for powerful testimony of your working in these men's lives and in this community. And Lord, um, honestly, we're probably too cowardly to ask you to do the same in us. But we're going to swallow hard and ask you to do that. To count us worthy. Of opening doors of ministry. Regardless of the cost it is to us physically or financially or materially. In our prayers that you might find us uh, willing in our heart to receive that and not look inside ourselves feeling sorry for ourselves but rather that we might look around the doors of ministry that might be opened up because of it. Lord, help us to see the ones who are watching and listening. And to see their need of a Savior more important than our need for comfort. In Christ Jesus' name we pray.